Welcome to another episode of Meet, Act, and Part, a Masonic podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Darren Laners. And I'm Bill Hostler. And this week, we have a very special guest from across the pond, as they say, Matthew Christmas. Matthew reached out to me after the Noakite article I'd wrote for the Midnight Freemasons blog, and you can read that at www.midnightfreemasons.org. We had a nice Zoom session, and it was so interesting to learn about some of the differences between English and American Freemasonry that I thought our listeners would also enjoy it. So, Matthew, welcome, and please give our listeners a little bit of your Masonic background. Well, thanks very much, Darren. Thanks, Bill. First of all, may I say I've got a lot of uh, affection for the USA. I visited the USA on about seven occasions. And in fact, I was almost born in the USA. My parents were in uh, in Washington State, in Seattle. My father worked for Boeing at the time, and uh, they came home when my mother became pregnant. So I was almost an American, but but not quite. And I've uh, I've been to America. I've been to 34 states, actually. I've been very lucky. I've been paid to go and debate across across America. So it's really, really nice to be here, virtually, so to speak. I became, there's no there's no masonry in my family, actually, but I um, had some friends at university and they were Freemasons and there was a university lodge at the University of Oxford and that was the one I joined. It's called the Apollo University Lodge, uh, number 357. And I joined there when I was uh, 21 and I was raised uh, in that lodge. I've also... I've been a master of other lodges. Uh, one in particular is the Lodge of Honour and Generosity in London, number 165. So they're very old lodges, even by English standards. I'm in an awful lot of the other degrees and orders. I mean, most of them. Um, and I'm pretty active in quite a few of them. My particular interests, I'm really interested in Masonic history and I'm very interested in, in ritual. And I, I like to research and write about connections between rituals. And I've been got particularly interested recently, obviously, in the Scottish Rite and how American Freemasonry differs in its ritual and also in the way it's organised. And that's how I ended up chatting chatting with Darren. I'm a former head teacher and teacher, and I now work for a charity uh, in England, which promotes public speaking and debating amongst young people. So that's me. Well, that's awesome, Matthew. Uh, why don't uh, you kind of go over maybe a general overview of how English Freemasonry works and some of the appendant bodies and maybe their equals over here in the States, and then we'll start talking about the, the differences. So uh, obviously you have three uh, different bodies. You have your Blue Lodges in your Grand Lodge, you have your Scottish Rite and your York Rite. In England, we're far less well organized than that, and we are differently organized. We have a, most of our bodies are independent of each other, which is obviously very different Obviously, the blue lodges are, are what, we, what we call our craft lodges are very similar to yours, and, and they are organised under the United Grand Lodge of England and within provincial grand lodges. And the provincial grand, a provincial grand lodge is like basically a county in England. So we only have one grand lodge for England and Wales, but we have provincial grand lodges that are our counties. The big difference is that the Holy Royal Arch is part, very much part of the three connected to the three craft degrees. So Supreme Grand Chapter, which governs the Holy Royal Arch, is in effect United Grand Lodge of England, just wearing a different kit. So our Grand Master, His Royal Highness Duke of Kent, is also the first Grand Principal of, of Chapter. So there's a great push. If you are a craft Freemason in the first three degrees, you normally join the Chapter, the Royal Arch Chapter, as your next Masonic body. And it's 
and it's distinct. It's not part of any of any rights like your chapter is part of the York rights. We've also got, obviously, what the, our version of the Scottish rite. It's called the Ancient and Accepted Rite. And we were actually founded by the Northern Masonic jurisdiction in 1845. And we haven't really changed our rituals since 1845. So we've had no influence of like the modern rituals in the Northern Masonic jurisdiction, nor have we had any of the changes and, and, and reorganisation done by people like Pike. So our rituals are... I haven't really changed at all. And the other, there's a great difference, which we can, we can talk about later, in the way that we confer our degrees within the ancient accepted right. Uh, it's very different to how, how you do it in both the, the northern jurisdiction and the southern jurisdiction. And then we have all our other degrees, which are independent. So we have, for instance, the Order of Mark Master Masons. That's an entirely separate degree. We have our our Order of Royal and Select Masters, that is uh, four degrees, a bit like your cryptic degrees. We also obviously we have Great Priory that governs both the Knights Templar and the Knights of Malta. Uh, we have the Order of the Secret Monitor, which leads to the Order of the Scarlet Board. We have the Allied Masonic degrees. We only have five in ours. I know you have a lot more in the Allied Masonic degrees uh, in America. And we have other bodies, too. Uh, like Knight Templar Priest, that's completely independent. It's not based in London. It's actually based in uh, originally from York. And there's a variety of, of other different separate bodies. So the big difference is if you want to do lots of Freemasonry in America, obviously you join your Blue Lodge and then you can join the York Rite and do lots of degrees and the Scottish Rite and do lots of degrees within three separate bodies. In England, you have to be in about... 15 or 16 different orders separately if you want to do the number of degrees that, that you do it in the USA with your three particular rights. So that's, it's very, very differently organized. That is interesting. And in some ways it is true, but like the York right here, you are, it is three separate bodies under one, one umbrella. I don't know if you realize that or not because now, so like here, I know you have to be a mark, a mark master is a separate organization in Britain. But to be a, a holy royal arch, you don't have to be a mark master in Britain. You just have to be a master mason, and which I guess completes the master, it completes you as a master mason in the UGLE. Is that right? That, uh, that phrase, uh, completing your third degree used to be used a lot, but it is in effect that, yes, it is, I think it is seen as being that. Whereas the mark, is perhaps the next degree that lots of people do. But even until very recently, people were either in the mark or the chapter. They didn't, and for a long time in some parts of the country, you didn't do both. And there was quite a split. Uh, that has now changed. But for instance, so, so there was a big, a big rivalry, but I think it's, it's, things are a lot more friendly than they used to be. It's also worth remembering that the United Grand Lodge of England and Supreme Grand Chapter don't recognise officially any other degrees apart from their three and the chapter. They they don't officially recognise them. They know they go on, but they're not what we call pure ancient Freemasonry. And that all comes, obviously, from the compact that happened when the two rival Grand Lodges joined together in the United Grand Lodge of England. There was obviously some politics there to do with the chapter, but not the other degrees. 
I've heard the story in the past. Now, another thing that I've also heard about craft lodges in, in Britain is, I guess one understand the, the prevalent ritual done in craft lodges there is the emulation ritual, but there's also like the Duncan's ritual. There's you, Several lodges can pick their own actual work if they can study and go by. Is that correct? Absolutely right. I mean, emulation is was the ritual that was formed really and and pushed, if you like, after the amalgamation of the two grand lodges uh, by the Lodge of Reconciliation. But in fact, there are lots and lots of other rituals. It's up to you. My mother lodge, Apollo, we work the Oxford ritual and very few other uh, lodges do that. Uh, we also have in the chapter different rituals. But after that, most of the other orders, most of them only have one ritual. But that said, there are regions of the country which do things differently. So, for instance, the the city and province of Bristol, this one small city, is in fact its own province, does things completely differently from the rest of the country. They have their their own right, the Baldwin rights. And you'll find that in other parts. There are strange little little differences that have never been ironed out. So we're, we're quite independent within our lodges, yes. So it's just like America. Each place has their own, you know, it, they're all the same but different in a lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the beauty of visiting. And that even, of course, extends some of the signs. So one of the, so the, so the sign, the, the, the sign in the second degree is different. There are two basic different ways, it, ways, ways it's done. And you'll see it done differently depending on which mother lodge you have. But it's very recognizable as the same sign, but it's done slightly differently. And, and other signs are done slightly differently as well. I learned that when I attended a lodge. I, I attended um, Churchville Lodge in um, Red Hill, Surrey, when I was in Britain. And uh, when I got picked up at the train station, I got in the car, and they uh, they asked me to see the sign of a I believe I came at the end of the premise. And so I showed them mine. They said, "Oh, you you do it like the Scottish." And I went, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. You know, because I gave the Dugard, and apparently the Dugard is it, it, in Britain is something that once was done, but is no longer done. Is that correct? Well, it's not. It's not done in every. It's done in some lodges, but not in others. But it's it is done universally in Scotland. A lot of American masonry seems to be have a Scottish origin. So, for instance, the Royal Art Mariner degree that is obviously part of the Allied Masonic degrees, although there are two versions of that. The main version is very much a Scottish Royal Art Manor degree, which I recognise, but it's not the same as, as it's done in England. So there are some distinct differences there. Certainly some very distinct differences. You also have some degrees that are quite rare, I think, in the USA, and you have to be specially recommended for, which actually in, in England you can join quite easily. So, for instance, the Red Cross of Constantine and Knight Templar Priests seem to be quite special degrees in America. I don't know if that's right, but in, in England, they are just other degrees you can join. We do have special invitation-only degrees too, but they're, they're different across the pond. Yeah, here they're more or less, they're sort of a, a I guess you would say kind of like a something that you can be um, given to, as a an award for long-time service and, you know, it's Kind of a an honor is more or less is a way I guess you'd be saying something I will never see in any possible way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are there all our orders do have either long service to masonry awards within them, or there are you can become a knight grand cross or that sort of thing, but they don't confer. There's no ritual conferred with them. 
they're just a, a bigger sash or a larger chain or a, a different baton to carry. There aren't actual rituals associated with these sort of rewards and honors for promotions for service. Well, and then also, I guess, that while we're on the subject of honors, the, uh, the United Grand Lodge of England also gives you, for a long time service, you can also receive an honorary provincial or grand rank. That is, I guess it's more or less just honorary versus actual. Yeah, yeah, we call them active and past. So you can get an active rank in, in a province. So, for instance, in the Mark Mason's degree, I was the active provincial grand inspector of works, but I then later on became past Grand Senior Warden in the province, but I never actually did that job. It was just a promotion uh, based on my service. So yes, you can get what's called past ranks, which are just either a first point of promotion, or if you're lucky, you get an active rank. I mean, everybody wants the active ranks because uh, they're lots of fun to do. Most people get past rank, which they never actually do. And a lot more money in regalia to put out too. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, of course, that is not the Scottish way. In Scotland, you have Grand Lodge office bearers, and, and after they stop doing the office, they go back to wearing uh, ordinary regalia, and that is something we don't. I, I personally think there's there are there's too much emphasis on promotions and different coloured aprons and and lots of initials after your name, where which is not really what it's all about. That, but that's my view. But equally, I I accept the honours when I'm given them, of course. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. In fact, I wrote a piece for the Midnight Freemasons a few years ago. It was based on the situation I seen in one of my lodges. It was called, I ended up entitling it Fancy Aprons and Titles. I think it was what I called it. And it's pretty much the same as what you just said. Matthew, why, let's talk a little bit about some of the differences in the Craft Lodge or the Blue Lodge. I know, for instance, in England, I under, my understanding is that you don't have an altar in the middle of the, the lodge room, correct? That the Bible is up by the master? Yes, we have the, the, the altar or the pedestal, depending on what it is, is in, is in the east, yes. And we don't call it an altar in the craft, it's merely a pedestal, which has the uh, volume of the sacred law and the square compasses on it. Other orders do have altars. Uh, but uh, the craft lodges do not. That's right. It's up, it's up by the master. What are maybe some of the other differences that, since you've been to some lodges in the United States, that you've observed between the between what goes on in the, in the lodge room during the uh, degree work or the ritual? Your opening and closings are much longer. Uh, you have an awful lot more question and answers that happen. And also when you admit a Mason who you don't know and he has to be proved, there's, as you know, I know you have a great ceremony for doing that and a whole series of questions and vouching that goes on uh, in your blue lodges. That does not happen in, in England as far as I know at all. It's all done outside the lodge. It's supposedly the job of the junior warden to do that uh, and the tiler. But once you're in the lodge room, there is no proving of you beyond everyone giving the sign together. When, when when one opens. The other thing is you, I, as far as I'm aware, it's very rare to have a tracing board, isn't it, in America? You have lots of lectures within the ceremony, which we have, we do differently. They're done on the tracing boards. Uh, they're either on the floor, if they're very large tracing boards, or they're, on, or they're in front of the pedestal of the junior warden. And those tracing boards are, are obviously covered in symbols and images, and they're talked through. Whereas it seems to me, from what I can remember, what I've seen is is that in American lodges, you have a, a, a more of a, you're being told it, whereas in English lodges, you're being shown it as well as well as, as they're telling. The other major difference is your third degree, which is much more dramatic. 
We do have some parts of the country where there is a dramatic third degree, as in Bristol again, uh, for instance, or some parts of the north of England. But you have the three ruffians acting out, talking amongst themselves, uh, both before and after, and we don't have that. The ruffians are very briefly represented by the two wardens and the master. It's much more dramatic in in your ceremonies. So I w- it's in my experience, your your ceremonies go on for longer than our craft ones do. As and often bits get left out and are done on another evening. Our meetings are, re- I think, are by and large quicker than American Blue Lodge meetings, which is a shame in some ways. I, I, I'm very, I admire your your ritual and your your catechistical lectures, which which we do far, very rarely, really. That's the major differences. We also, I mean, also the dress, most lodges in England and Wales, you wear just a, a suit. Some lodges meet in black tie and dinner jackets. It, it's not very common. Senior officers in the province and in Grand Lodge wear striped trousers with short black coats. My mother lodge is very unusual in that the officers of the lodge wear court dress. So they wear tailcoats, breeches, stockings, and buckled shoes, and the uh, and most members of the lodge wear white tie and tails, full evening dress. We're an old-fashioned lodge uh, in in that respect, but most English lodges are they wear just a smart suit and a and a, a black tie or a, a masonic tie. So the dress is a bit different as well. That's the major difference between the in the craft, I think, between your lodges and ours. Well, I also know that there's certain. I remember going through a grand processional on going in and going out when they open opening lodge versus just setting an opening lodge. I remember. I thought that was rather interesting. Yeah, yeah, we we do have processions, particularly if a provincial grand master is attending a lodge in his province or one of his representatives in an official capacity. Normally, the director of ceremonies of the province will knock on the door and and say that the provincial grand master demands admission, and he'll be he will then be escorted in by members of the lodge with applause and then saluted. That does happen, of course, if the grand master or any of his senior grand officers attend a lodge as well. That there is, there is ceremony. Actually, my lodge is incredibly casual. We don't tend to do that at all. Uh, we have an awful lot of very senior grand officers who are members, including the pro grand master, the deputy grand master, and the actual grand master is. We're, we're one of the very few lodges which he's an honorary member of. So we don't tend to salute people very much because they just like to sit there and enjoy the meeting and not be fussed over. <laughs> so my, my mother lodge prides itself on being incredibly relaxed, very good at ritual, but very relaxed and, and not great on saluting. But some lodges, there are, are a lot of salutes. It, it depends on where you are in the country and what you like, I think. And you know, another thing that I, I really loved about British Masonry was is the festive board after a stated meeting. I thought that, well, in rework too, I thought that was a, I wish that was something that we would get back to here in America is the, is the festive board with the toasts. And, you know, occasionally here they'll have, no, will you go ahead and explain to them, to the audience? Cause you probably can explain it a lot better than I can. <laughs> Well, it's one of the reasons I think why we have relatively short ceremonies. We want to have a damn good dinner afterwards, you know, and um, there's normally a three or four course dinner. And then during the dinner, the master will master, master will take wine with various people. So drink toasts with various people, his wardens, key guests, key members of the lodge, that sort of thing, marking anniversaries. And then after the dessert, we then have a series of toasts. The first one is always to the queen and the craft. 
Uh, and then we have a series of toasts to the grand master, grand officers, principal officers. And then there are there are speeches. Some lodges have great long speeches. In my lodge, we always say that visitors can reply to their toast. But if they do, they will not be invited again. <laughs> so they're very welcome to reply if they don't want to come again. We don't like great. So I think that tends to be in England and Wales why we have quite short meetings. We want to go and have a, a thoroughly good dinner. Also, we have a bar and everything else beforehand. In Scotland, of course, they call it harmony uh, and there's often singing as well. Certainly in my mother lodge in Oxford, we have the, we sing the Entered Apprentices song. And we sing the master's song at installation and it's a, it's a very jolly affair. So they are great fun, the dinners. And I think that's often when, of course, you get to sit next to somebody who you don't know, who might be 40 years older than you or 40 years younger than you. And you get to chat to them and you meet visitors and it, it's, it's great fun. It's very rare that you meet without having some sort of meal. And if people don't dine, we're always a bit surprised. Oh, and they're not dining time. What a shame. And I got to say, that was my favorite part of the whole thing, too, was, you know, sitting there on a beautiful dinner of lamb on actual fine china with, you know, wine. I mean, you know, that was, and I got to give the visitors toast. I thought that was very interesting and awfully brave of them to let me talk. <laughs> uh, we always like somebody from another country to give a, t- to give a reply. That's always brilliant. I mean, I think, I think, you know, we don't, we haven't forgotten that lodges started in public houses, you know, in bars and, uh, and often, you know, the tiler might also be the publican who owned the bar. And, uh, and I think that's quite important to us that we keep that, we keep that together, you know. And honestly, that was going to be the next thing that I was going to bring up is that I did enjoy a couple of alcoholic beverages for the meeting. And see, that's the thing here in America. I and mean, I know you know this is that there's so many states here that think that, you know, the lodge would come crashing down if, um, if the lodge was actually have um, alcoholic beverages within the walls of it. My grand lodge, I used to run a Masonic temple and up in Indiana before I moved to Oklahoma. And our lodge was just about ready to be sold. And we, we couldn't have, you know, weddings wouldn't happen there because you couldn't have alcoholic beverages. Well, I got, we put a thing through there. And of course it was, oh my goodness, you know, drunken masons are going to be laying on the sidewalks and all this at the Grand Lodge. And, and I got up and talked. And one of the things I pointed out was in Britain that this is, commonplace and surprisingly there's no drunken masons on the side or shriners because you know on the side of the road you know laying their pissed as a lord i mean they're they seem to have been doing it for fine for centuries but and we got it passed <laughs> now we, we i think it, it, it would be seen to be terribly bad form to be drunk at a masonic meeting i mean obviously they can be proceed they can, people, people can stay after the after proceedings and have a few a few more drinks but no in the meetings we certainly don't uh, in my um, my mother lodge apollo we always do two ceremonies at every meeting and so we always call off between the first and the second and there's always time for a quick gin and tonic or a quick beer then of course but you know i wouldn't be drinking if i'm if i'm doing the ceremony or if i'm a deacon or the master but but uh, of course, as you wouldn't if you do anything else. But no, we we I think I think most Freemasons understand that, the, that we are a dignified institution, and uh, whilst it's okay to have a drink, uh, we don't do it, of course, to excess, uh, both before or after the, or even during the ceremony, because that would spoil it. And we, yeah, we don't approve of that. Of course, there is the cork, which you have as well, which is obviously um, is a, a spoof degree that's done for charity. And of course, the cork actually meets in a bar and is drinking during the cork ceremony. But it's not a Masonic ceremony. It's a uh, it's just an, a very old traditional uh, spoof on the Masonic ceremony. But it's done only by Masons and it's done uh, and, and it's done for charity. But certainly even then we don't get drunk. 
But the Gambit has a few beers, certainly. But of course, Americans are much more sensible, and uh, you have a you have a different history of alcohol. First of all, Bill, how dare you insinuate that the paper plates and sloppy joes that we have prior or after a meeting aren't an appropriate meal for Freemasons? I, I think that uh, I just uh, I'm just so so uh, upset right now about about that statement. Secondly, uh, Matthew, let's maybe talk a little bit about the ancient accepted right over there versus uh, Scottish right, ancient accepted Scottish right here. Uh, as you know, I'm northern jurisdiction. Uh, Bill is a member, I believe, of both, right? Bill, are you still NMJ as well? No, I had to demit from the NMJ. I'm, I'm planning on going back to be and becoming both again. Do you both be 32nd degree Masons, I imagine? Yes, I am. I, Bill, I assume you are as well. You're not a 33rd, right? <laughs> Nobody's that dumb to make me a 33rd. <laughs> It's very different for us. So what happens is the ancient septed rite has its equivalent unit to a lodge is a rose qua chapter. And so when you are perfected, you go in as obviously a master mason and you have the fourth to the 17th degree conferred on you by name. Uh, it takes quite a short amount of time, less than 10 minutes. Uh, and then you are there's a very full and beautiful ceremony to be able to become an 18th degree Mason. But after that, you stay an 18th degree Mason uh, until you have gone through the chair of the chapter, after you've been most wise sovereign and you have done all the ritual at some point in your year or the year after, you are considered for 30th. And that is then conferred on you at a meeting. The Supreme Council can confers those degrees in England. Only Supreme Council confers the 30th, 31st, 32nd and 33rd. So normally the 30th is done by quite a large number of you and it's conferred on you. And before you get the 30th, you have the 19th, 29th conferred on you by name. I'm the I've been to the chair of the Grand Metropolitan chapter number one. And I'm a, I then became two years later a 30th degree Mason. I'm about to go through the chair in about a year's time again of another chapter. If I wanted to become a 31st or 32nd degree Mason, I would need to either do long service or, for instance, you know, get involved in the administration of the district or something like that, uh, or work directly for Supreme Council as one of their directors of ceremonies or part of their degree conferring team. So it's in, in the average Rose Choir chapter, you might have one 31st or 231st, you might have 132nd. It's very unusual uh, to get those higher degrees. So if you meet a brother who's 30th degree in England, he has certainly been through the chair and done lots of work and then may or may not be promoted in due course, but you don't expect to be. 30th is the highest you tend to go. And the other great difference is, of course, that we don't work the uh, 4th to 17th degrees. There is only one chapter the King Edward VII chapter of improvement, uh, and they do work them as demonstrations. They do a couple a year and they go around the country to different districts and, and they, they demonstrate them with the full regalia and with the furniture needed. But it's nothing like the great Scottish Rite cathedrals with casts of thousands. And um, the, the 19th, 29th degree uh, ceremonies are almost never worked. They might be one work later this year. And of course, m m when you become an 18th degree Mason or a 30th degree Mason, you're given a booklet which talks about the previous degrees. 
but not they're not the actual rituals. The actual rituals are kept by Supreme Council. They're not conferred. So it is it's a much more restricted organization than it is in, 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 in America. It's also nothing like as large. It's a little you have to be a Trinitarian Christian uh, in England and Wales to become a Prince Rose Croix. And it is a relatively small order. It's very it's very prized and it's it's uh, much valued. And I think the 18th degree is one of the most beautiful ceremonies in Freemasonry, but it is it's not regularly conferred. The vast majority of English Masons are not in the Ancient Accepted Rite. It is a very small number, actually, compared to as it is in America. So it's very, very different. In in fact, there was uh, for a very long time, in order to be a shrine or a member of the shrine, you had to be a 32nd degree Mason here in the United States. So it's very interesting. We don't have the shrine, of course. The shrine is, I think there is one shrine in England. I think that's all there is. But it, the shrine and those other charity degrees don't really exist in, in England at all. Or if they do, they are only one or two units and they're quite specialised. We haven't gone down that huge charity raising through through degrees that, that you do. We do our charity very differently. Shame. I think the Shrine looks lots of fun. Part of uh, what happens here in the Scottish Rite is that uh, we have something that's called reunions. And basically our reunions occur bi-yearly. We usually have one at least in the NMJ in the spring and then one in the fall. And that's when we have uh, we do our degree work and bring in new uh Masons, craft masons to join the, the Scottish Rite. One of the main differences uh, between the two jurisdictions is that the northern jurisdictions work is not as much influenced by Pike as the southern jurisdictions. Is. So we have, uh, as you mentioned, some various degrees that have been modernized. For example, we have a degree uh, that we call the Civil War degree, which tells the story of uh, General Armistead and General Winfield Scott, and especially what happened to Armistead at the Battle of Gettysburg during the Civil War, just as an example. But what basically does happen is we bring in what's called a class, and that class usually can constitute anywhere from the largest class I've seen is probably about 15 or 20 guys come into to the Scottish Rite at one time. Uh, I've seen classes as low as four or five, so it really kind of depends. Uh, back in um, our, the valley I belong to, the Valley Danville's been around uh, at least a hundred plus years. I want to say close to 125. I'm just going off the top of my head, so I may be incredibly wrong here. But uh, going back and looking at the class pictures, you can see a lot of the early classes, they would have hundreds of men join. And now we're lucky if we get with 20. I guess it's just a sign of the times. But you were mentioning that basically you have, well, first of all, it's very much more a uh, invitation, maybe only body over there. But secondly, you usually only have a a candidate or two that witnessed those degrees, correct? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's entirely invitation only, but I think if you were to ask and you were seen to be suitable, you, they would let you in. But it isn't, it isn't something you ask early on. It's I think often people see the Rose Choir as a later part of their journey in masonry, I think. No, we, I've, I've only ever seen one candidate at a time, except once. When I was in the chair of Grand Metropolitan, we did do two candidates, and it was very unusual, and we did quite a lot of the ceremony twice so they didn't do everything so 
they did different they did some bits on their own uh which we felt they couldn't share uh so no you only ever do the 18th degree is normally 99 percent of the time is only one candidate and we most chapters meet about three times a year so they can do three three candidates a year at the most really although often one is also the enthronement the other the 30th degrees and the other the higher degrees are conferred in large numbers uh, because supreme council doesn't meet that often it's pretty busy conferring all the 30ths all the 31sts seconds and 33rds so they have to do people together but again they choose one person to be the representative candidate but that's also the case in masonry in england and wales generally it is seen to be unusual to do more than one candidate in the craft at a time and even in orders like the mark and the royal and select masters it's rarely more than two my mother lodge is unu very unusual in that we do multiple candidates but that uh, in the craft but that is extremely unusual and it's a lot of people frown on it until they've seen it <laughs> um but that's because our most masons who go through the Apollo University Lodge are quite young. They're between 18 and 22. You know, so they are young people and they join us as friends together. But it is, um, that's ve Apollo University Lodge and one brothers are very unusual to do multiple candidates. And it, it's, it's been done forever, but it's, it is very unusual. People frown upon it if they haven't seen it. They feel it's not dignified enough but i think i would say as it's my mother lodge it, it's it's extremely impressive to be and, and you have a bond with those people who you were initiated with as a group so that's what i would say but so yes it, we are we are there's a bit a lot of pressure just to have one candidate in all things during you when you're discussing this you was telling about how the ancient accepted right they kind they keep rituals secret basically locked away now the craft ones are opposite in britain from what i understand you except for a book with certain words in them you can actually go to like leckworth or any regalia shop or bookstore from that matter and buy the rich the masonic ritual and then in plain english and anybody can do it is that true yeah i mean i i could walk into letchworth in in great queen street in the in the headquarters and, and buy a ritual and it would have the key at the back and nobody would ask me if I was entitled to buy it. So no, that you're absolutely right. It is. And that is surprising. Of course, it's all on the internet anyway. So I suppose the view is that if you can get it on the internet, you might as well buy it properly <laughs> and make the money out of it. I mean, some orders are much more careful about their rituals, but the craft, the chapter and the vast majority of degrees you can buy the rituals very openly but some of the more uh so degree but degrees like the royal order of scotland you get the ritual when you join that institution you don't get it before and so there are institutions which keep their rituals much more private but yes it, it, it is and of course lots of the books that are published these days uh do say more than you might expect them to my original craft ritual book my apollo book that i was given when i was initiated you know over 30 years ago there's an awful lot of blanks in there, <laughs> an awful lot of, 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 of words with just an initial letter, which when you're first trying to learn the ceremony is very difficult. But that's that's unusual. Do you think that's the UGLE trying to combat all all the bad press and such that I mean, you you fellas over there have it really rough, you know, with the the news and you know, if you're a policeman or a judge and they were you know by law you're required to register as a Freemason for some silly thing. And I know that like they've taken the past, they take taken out the blood oaths from rituals and. 
trying to, you know, stop the craziness of the, the media and the, well, you know, they were up, rolling up one pant leg type thing. And, and um, do you think maybe that's, I know this is just, you know, speculation. I know you're not speaking for anybody, but do you think that was maybe one of the reasons why they're doing the trying to be more open or maybe just to make money? Well, we're certainly being more. We're certainly being more open. I mean, I think the debt when I joined in 1989, it was something we didn't really talk about and it was a bit frowned on by some people. Uh, and we were very secretive, I think. That's definitely changed. We're much more open about it now. I mean, it's on my Facebook profile. It's on my Twitter profile. We are encouraged to talk about our Freemasonry. We do. We're at last talking about our charity work. You know, we're one of the biggest shadow givers in the whole of England and Wales, and it was never mentioned. And, and now it's being actually code the code, the terrible pandemic of COVID-19 has brought uh, the work we're doing and our help we're giving as, as volunteers has gone, has become much more widely known. We've had good press recently, which is the first time ever. But also we've started also as a Grand Lodge has started, has come out and said enough's enough. And they will now actually refute press articles and they will set and they will make a big thing of it so we're becoming more open you can walk into grand lodge men and women you haven't got to be a mason to go and look around the building the library is one of the foremost libraries for research most people are research are not masons so i think we're much more open but i think yes i think i think the rituals are just are, are there because i think we realize that you can read any ritual you like and you can know it word for word, but unless you've actually been through the ceremony as a candidate, or unless you've been an officer helping to confer that ceremony on a candidate, you don't really understand Freemasonry. It's like trying to learn to play American football or 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 English soccer, you know, from reading a rule book. You can't get the idea of it. You have to do it. I've been saying that for years too. It's not in your heart if you actually haven't, you know, encountered it. But I was going to be my next question is I'm a big fan of Dr. David Staples and the Grand Secretary of the Has the Enough is Enough program that he started, does it seem like it's helping any with bad press? David's a member of my lodge, actually. He's a, his mother lodge is Apollo as well. Da David is, is not the first Grand Secretary to have started this trend. He's been, it's been three or four in a row who've begun to make Freemasonry more open with the full support of, of, the, of the high rulers. But David has particularly got to the point of he really has changed the communications department in the Grand Lodge, not only talking to the, the members, they're much more, they talk to us a lot more than they ever used to, but also to the press. So David has been particularly strong uh, in that, uh, in, in fighting prejudice. And, and, he's, and of course, he's also, you know, young for a Grand Secretary and CEO. So, you know, he's got a lot of time to keep doing it. And uh, I, I think he's made a huge difference. But he, it's not just David. It's, it's, a, it's been a big sea change. We've all got sick and tired of being made to feel embarrassed for it. And that's also why we work very closely now with the two female Grand Lodges uh, in England. You know, lots of our Zoom calls during COVID, there have been plenty of uh, female Freemasons on our Zoom calls. You know, we like talking with each other and we like sharing our ideas together. And we promote each other now. So, uh, you know, that's that's that, that's a huge sea change. Even 10 years ago, we didn't even talk about female Freemasons. Now we do. It's funny because, you know, here you still get to, you know, the He-Man Woman Haters Club, no women allowed. And, you know, it's the, it's, it's kind of funny because you'll go into some of the Facebook groups and some of these guys, what are they, that, that, what are they doing now? And then when they, the gender reassignment situation came out, UGLE made a ruling on that. They, some of these older past masters here in America have just been losing their minds. And I think it's kind of funny in a lot of ways, but. Well, actually, one, one, one of my friends has, has, is, is changing his, is going 
going back to the gender he thinks he should be. So he's becoming a woman and he's a member of my lodge in London and he's absolutely accepted. Uh, nobody cares less uh, that Joe with an E is now Joe without an E. You know, we know Joe, we've known him for years. He's a past master of the lodge. Whether, you know, and that's not an issue for us at all because it's the person we care about and, and not whether he wears trousers or a skirt. <laughs> you know, I'm sure in the future, and probably certainly in my lifetime, I'm only 53, I, I'm sure we will have intervisiting between male and female the Grand Lodges. We probably, you know, I don't see why that, I, th- I think that is possible. It will, it's bound to happen. Um, at the moment, we are, we don't recognise them officially because we can't visit their lodges, but we re- we do it all but net, all apart from that. And I'm sure in 30 years' time, we'll be able to visit each other, you know, because equally lots of people have husband and wife's wives who are both Masons and, and, and parents have sons and daughters. My son is a Mason. My daughter is not a Mason yet, but I'd love her to be a Freemason. And I hope one day I could perhaps, you know, go and see it happening. So I'm sure I don't speak obviously for lots. I can't speak for anyone else, but I think whilst we really like being just a male only organization when we meet, you know, we've got nothing. I've, most of us have got nothing against women being Freemasons at all. It, it's about making good people better. Uh, and I firmly believe that. And, it, and people who think this is the end of the world, it really isn't. <laughs> it really isn't the end of the world. <laughs> well, in fact, Julie rents the, to women Freemasons the, the, the halls for their quarterly meetings, if I remember right. Of course. Of course. Why not? Why not? You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a word you see a lot on on Facebook groups, which American Masons use, called clandestine, which is not a word that's ever used in England. We don't regard women Freemasons as clandestine. Obviously, they're different, and their setting up was not regular in that they weren't their grand lodges weren't founded by another male grand lodge. But that's lost in the past. You know, they're a thriving organisation. They do good. Uh, they don't threaten us. We don't threaten them. We don't want to take them over. They don't want to take us over. We don't want to join together. We just want to enjoy each other's fellowship. And I think that's that's the way we are, you know. And basically that's the same argument here as in America with Prince Hall versus the mainstream. It's it's pretty much the same thing here. And, and we've all come a long way here in America with that with those two different organizations. So I can see where it would definitely be the same way with the gender Grand Lodges in Britain. And I can remember when we toured Grand, Great Green Street once I finally found it, when, you know, <laughs> when I was in London, I remember my my stepdaughter was only about 10 years old, and the tour guide allowed her to shut the great bronze door. It was just her finger. Yeah, absolutely, at the Grand Temple, yeah. And she was just amazed at how she that heavy door she could just close with her little finger. And she thought that was the greatest thing. And honestly, I was impressed, too, as heavy as those doors were. It's such a beautiful building, and knowing the history behind it and how it was built as a peace memorial, it was. it's really, if you're ever a Freemason and you're in London or if you're visiting London, it's definitely worth an afternoon tour just to go there. I wish I could go to a meeting there. I think it's the only Art Deco building in England that is still used for its original purpose. That is a complete Art Deco building. You know, it's still as it was designed and as it looks. Although I think we are trying to improve the heating system. <laughs> my lodge, of, my London lodge meets there and it's always a great pleasure. The problem about meeting in London, of course, is that dining is very expensive. And a dinner in a London restaurant or a London club that you've hired is very expensive compared to when I eat in, a, in an Oxford uh, Masonic Hall where it's really much, much cheaper. So although you get the wonderful building of London, you are paying London dining prices, which is, uh, you know, pretty expensive. 
Well, the price for uh, a male at um, Freemason Arms across the street wasn't exactly cheap either, if I remember right. No, no, no. Even, even the pubs are expensive in London. Yeah, they really are. They really are. Yeah, no, it's not easy. Can I ask, can I bring up a couple of things? Would that be okay just to talk about? Ironically, this might surprise you. The degree that I most love is the Royal Art Mariner degree. And it's probably because it was the first chair I had. It's also a very simple degree, but very beautiful. And of course, it is based on Noah, who is one of the great figures in English and in, in all Freemasonry originally. But I'm always a bit sad that it's 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 not part of your mainstream. That it's uh, it's tucked away in the Allied Masonic degree. I think that's a that's a great pity. One of the great things that I think about your Freemasonry is that there are some wonderful degrees which American Masons get to do because they've, say, joined the York Rite, like the wonderful Royal Master degree, for instance, or the, the Order of the Red Cross, which are far rarer in England. And they are beautiful ceremonies and, and are very meaningful. And the vast majority of English Freemasons and Welsh Freemasons never get to do them. Whereas because you have that, your right organisational system means that, that I think more Americans get to do some of the really unusual and, and beautiful degrees that are out there. Whereas in England, you've got to be a bit of a, you know, a bit of an obsessive and want to join lots of orders and spend lots of time to find some of those really special degrees. Whereas they're relatively um, easier to access in America, apart from the Royal Art Mariners, which I think is very sad, that, uh, and some of the other beautiful degrees in the Allied, which is a little bit more detached in, in, in America. But uh, I think you're lucky in that respect. And I also think you take your Masonic scholarship very seriously. I mean, obviously, on both sides of the pond, we have people who really care about the ritual and the history. But you do. I've really enjoyed during lockdown, for instance, I've been attending a Missouri Scottish Rite education Zoom every two or three weeks. And it's one in the morning for me. But it's absolutely fantastic. You know, two and a half hours talking about one of the degrees in the Scottish Rite with real experts. And I, I've learned so much. And I think... We don't have that in quite the same way over here. Maybe it will change as we carry on Zooming after the pandemic. But I've been, I've really enjoyed getting to talk to American Freemasons who, who are very, very interested in their ritual and have, you know, whole education departments talking about it in their valleys. And I think that's great. And it's something that we could really learn for, learn from in England, I think. You, you take the education as a, as a Mason very seriously. And I think that's something that we could do a bit more of. Sometimes I think we're a bit too concerned about getting the numbers in, you know, and, and making sure we get somebody three to three degrees pretty quickly so he can become the inner guard pretty quickly. And it's a quick progress to the chair. And I think that's a shame. I think you've got it. I think you have a really, uh, a really good approach to spend so much emphasis on the education behind, uh, behind Freemasonry. So I think lots of brothers miss, which is such a shame because we know it's transformatory stuff. I would like to say that uh, that's the norm here, but I, I think it's uh, the exception. I think what you've seen, though, is that those who are passionate about education during this pandemic have really been putting forth the effort to make sure that these uh, programs are available to some of the brethren. And hopefully some of the brethren who weren't interested so much in education have now, uh, you know, seen this and have now have a passion for it and realize that it's something that uh, – needs to be happening uh within all the bodies not just our our craft lodge uh 
lodges, but also in the York and Scottish Rite. The York Rite chapter that I'm a, a member of, Admiration Chapter, is uh, based at Homer in Illinois. And uh, it was basically formed with the idea that education would be uh, first and foremost. So it's really been uh interesting to have us be able to not only do the degree work and the ritual, but also then to have education, discuss it, kind of break it down. I'd really like to say, I'd like to plug the Royal Art Manor degree as being particularly wonderful. I'd also like to plug the Royal Order of Scotland, which is in, in masonry in England and Wales and Scotland. It's the second oldest degree after the craft, of course, and it's got all sorts of amazing uh, ideas in it, which have been were pushed out of the craft when the craft was de-Christianized. So I'm, I'm very, very fond of the Royal Order of Scotland. And I'd also like to say that there's an entire, obviously the Red Cross of Constantine has itself, not just two other orders, but it's also got, it's, it's in itself a complete rite of three degrees of Knight Mason, Priest Mason and, and the Prince Mason. And I, I have found those ceremonies, which I've done recently, particularly beautiful and particularly meaningful. So I'd like to put a big everyone out there listening i'd like to put a big plug in for the order of the red cross of constantine which i'm very very fond of i think it's really worth investing the time in it's a wonderful a wonderful order oh i was just gonna say i was just kind of chuckling here because a lot of american brethren who are involved in and interested in the masonic studies look to the english as a template to do a masonic education there are lodges here dress and evening wear and wear English regalia and have festive boards after their meetings and they, you know, to um, emulate the British and promote their version of um, Masonic studies. And they're all worried. And they think that the British have the right idea by not promoting brethren so fast and keeping them, you know, not, you know, don't progress them too wild and to make them officers. And it's kind of funny how you guys think it's the opposite and how we're the ones that are more studious and not progressing them so quickly. Too. I think the good thing about, I think the good thing about obviously visiting when you get a chance to go abroad and also the, the greatness of the good, the only good thing about the COVID pandemic and being locked down is I think we've learned a lot from each other and we've seen the best of each other, I think. And uh, certainly I've seen some, I've listened to lots of excellent American podcasts, including including the ones that you guys do, and done some education work. I've also heard from brethren from all over the world at various Zoom meetings that have been organised here and other other platforms, and I, and it's been good. I think if we can carry on doing that, we can get the best out of each other, which I think is you know is really good. I've learned an awful lot in the last three months, so it's you know that's been hugely enjoyable. Yeah, so that I, I think you know, and I, I'm giving a few talks myself, which I'm also enjoying. So uh, it's making me work hard in order to to check my rituals and check my history. So it's yeah, I, I think it's also broken down barriers because when you're on a a Zoom call with somebody, or when you're on a you know on a, on an interview, it doesn't matter if they're the most worshipful grandmaster or if they're an apprentice. You sort of you definitely meet, you definitely meet on the level, you know, and, and you talk together in a way that you perhaps don't do if you're meeting in a lodge where there's people's rank is so obviously defined by the apron or the sash or the chain that they wear and then there's you know there can be that can make diff that can make very clear differences and put barriers up whereas i think this education we're all doing together now you know using the internet has has really leveled us off and i think that's been hugely hugely beneficial i've met a couple of of grand masters of american and canadian orders on facebook groups and chatted with them and that's you know i've learned so much from them so which I would never otherwise have a chance to meet them. So I think it's this is the, if we can carry on the good things that have emerged from this pandemic, 
of the way we've shared things together and, and uh, listened to each other, I think it's going to be a lot happier world out there, actually, uh, in terms of masonry. It's been really good. Really good. Two episodes ago, we had a, a brother who was who who is Grandmaster of the Washington D.C. Grand Lodge, and it was amazing to see and hear all the things that that Grand Lodge is doing with their members. And they're it's really nice because it's showing that you know when we're not focused on numbers and advancing new members that we can actually still practice or actual Freemasonry with, you know, charity to each other and education. And the things that they're doing there, it really warmed my heart and really made me happy to see him be a Freemason again. And we, we had them on because everyone was just so impressed with what they're doing. And it's, it's really nice to see Mason stepping up to the plate now worldwide to see what everyone is doing. Now, it is really good. Yeah, it's really, he was on a, a Zoom call that I watched as well recently in England. He was talking about what they're doing, and it was massively impressive. But yeah, I think lots of people, you know, not only are we doing good in terms of the community, but also, you know, often a brother can't attend a lodge meeting because he's not very well or it's a long way away or he's moved. Well, I'm in a lodge where there's a submariner who spends most of his time under the sea. <laughs> and so he often misses, often misses our meetings, but he can join our Zoom calls once a week incredibly easily because he's not you know it, it's a time that he or we can watch the podcast later and chat on what on whatsapp so it has brought people together and, and i think almoners have really got in and, and 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 tracked down their members who we don't see very often and made sure they're okay it's been great i just had this idea and this would be something that maybe grand lodges ought to look at is and it was something we could learn from the covid thing how we have you know over here we call them senior citizens but they can't attend lodge a lot of times anymore what if we were to you know use some of the money we use for charity and get them a tablet and teach them how to be able to use a special app to where they could actually attend and watch lodge meetings and interact like that and so they can sit there in the comfort of their own home or their you know the nursing home or whatever and actually be able to converse with the brethren and actually be able to take part in masonic activities again and i know it's just something off the top of my head but what that would might be something that would be kind of interesting and a good way to keep them involved and happy and still be masons I agree. Whether we can do ritual over over um, over those media, I'm not sure. And certainly, that's certainly frowned. It's not allowed at the moment in England and Wales. And I I support that. But I think it's you know there's lots of ways I've been chatting with people who otherwise I wouldn't I haven't seen at lodges for years. Also, we're doing stuff now like some of our business meetings. I'm I'm on various committees, and we've met on Zoom, and we've been saying oh, we're never going to meet in person again to do this because we can do it without having to travel for two hours. <laughs> you know, we can do it in an hour. And these are the tedious things that take up lodge time, where you're discussing the bylaws of a lodge, or you're discussing uh, your communication strategy. You know, you can do some of those really dull things as well, which take up time. You can do them in the privacy of your own home when it suits people. And then you can actually, when you're at the meetings, you can, in, you can focus on the candidate and focus on the rituals and focus on the educational side of it and enjoy it. So there are some benefits of technology. And some older people who've been worried about technology and some lodges you never thought would be zooming or google teams or whatever they are doing it now they have a you know they want to they know it's the only way so it's been i think it's been it's made a huge sea change i think a lot of old people senior citizens have actually embraced that very much indeed which is great really really good and we can help them as you say we can go and set it up for them we can help provide the tablets and that sort of thing which they need to keep to, to stay in touch with their brethren it's better that than a phone call once a month isn't it or once a quarter doesn't mean very much at all 
Something that is interesting here, uh, our Grand Lodge of Illinois and our Grand Master here, Stephen Oakley, just put out some procedures for us as we are allowed to return to meeting in the lodge. And one of the things that he is allowing us to do is as long as we have a quorum, uh, which is seven members to open up the lodge, we can then Zoom in other members who are unable to attend in person. So my hope is that this is being ran as a trial period and then after the pandemic is over that this will be allowed to continue. That's that's my hope. I, I'm sure every Grand Lodge will look at that and see how, I mean, obviously I can't speak for our United Grand Lodge, I'm not, a mem- I'm not an officer in it, but I, I, I'm sure they're going to look at these sort of things as well. And, and, I, and as we know, all the Grand Lodges talk to each other a lot and communicate, and I'm sure they'll be sharing ideas at, at Grand Secretary level and Grand Master level to see if they can find ways to, in, to include their brethren more. It, it's going to only be good, can't it? It's going to only be good. Right. Uh, Bill, do you have anything else for Matthew before we wrap up? I could probably talk all afternoon, but man, we, we should probably have you on again one of these days really soon. We can keep discussing this and other things we think of, but not for right now, no. But to thank you very much for coming on, and I hope we can talk to you again in the future. It's been a great privilege. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's so nice to chat to you guys. So thanks, Darren. Thanks, Bill. It's been a pleasure for me. Real pleasure. Thank you, Matthew, for joining us. And thank you for listening to another episode of Meet, Act, and Part. If you are interested in supporting our program, you can support us via Patreon at our website, which is www.meetactandpart.com. I hope uh, that everyone found this episode as educational and interesting as I did, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening.